0: i Spaces Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. Today on the Ether, DeFi 101, Lesson 14 on Stablecoins, featuring Carter from Shade Protocol.
1: Let's take a listen. Glad you could make it on. This is not the first time we've gotten together to make content, so I'm really looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, me too. I mean, it's Lesson 14, which makes me extremely curious about the first 13 lessons.
1: Yeah. So basically, and for people that are just joining or listening on the replay for the first time, I do about one of these a week. My goal is to do 40 for the year. And like Carter pointed out, we're up to number 14. So each episode, we choose a topic. We go really lightly into that concept, whether it be MEV, DAOs, uh, we've had a whole bunch of different ones or stable coins like tonight. And then I bring on someone who's Working on a project, a protocol related to that concept. And then they become the the expert, the resident expert to answer some of the more deeper questions. And then at the end, the people that are in the audience, you could feel free to request a mic. We don't talk the entire time. So get your questions ready. And again, if anyone's listening for the first time, my name is Joe. I'm Cosmos DeFi on Twitter. I host NFT theme spaces. DeFi theme spaces and even some uh, off-topic spaces from time to time, which are always fun. And I have a YouTube channel, so if you're interested, in it, my links are in my my link tree in my Twitter profile. Um, Carter, why don't you quick introduce yourself? I'll bring up Timmy, and then we'll get uh, we'll get going.
2: For sure. So Carter Wetzel here. I've been in the crypto space. Since 2017, so I guess we're on year six at this point. The first three years of my journey was spent uh, researching the space and actually writing a book called Building Confidence in Blockchain. It was during that three-year journey where it became very apparent to me that DeFi and crypto as a whole was lacking uh, privacy as well as interoperability. And that's kind of when, you know, around 2020 to 2021 is when the Cosmos SDK really started taking off and the Cosmos thesis started taking off. So I kind of jumped headfirst into the Secret Network community. I actually helped write the Secret Network white paper, white paper um, working alongside uh, the developers, um, actually worked at the Secret Foundation for a little while too, as like a community manager and content creator. And I left the Secret Foundation to eventually uh, build Shade Protocol with a group of really cool Open source, open source builders at the end of 2021 and two years later, we've now launched some incredible disruptive products. One of them that we'll be talking about a lot today is Silk, which is a privacy-preserving stablecoin. For any of you who don't know what a stablecoin is, today is the perfect opportunity to learn about them, why they're one of the killer use cases in crypto and ultimately why you should care about stable points so yeah that's the little little bit of an intro about myself
1: perfect and i see some familiar faces in the audience so i appreciate you guys stopping by and Beto, you and i are always chatting it up kit nice to see you bunch of other familiar faces in the audience, or familiar pfps in the audience but uh timmy i appreciate you uh co-hosting it's always fun when you and i are on the mic together
3: yeah i'm i'm happy to be here um People should definitely spread this space around. I think stable coins seem boring on the surface, but they're like so important. So like really happy to be here tonight and uh, people should definitely try and share this space around.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think you're right. I think um, the, the proliferation of stable coins is part of the reason why we saw such an explosion in DeFi. Most likely it had to be one of the top two or three factors. I don't want to get too far into that in the very beginning just want to start with a basic like normie definition of stablecoin because stablecoins don't have to be equal to one dollar right so i guess the way that i would and then of course you guys can chime in and add on but basically it could be any token that's meant to just not fluctuate in price provide some safe haven from market volatility which is really Characteristic of crypto in general, not only fungible tokens but non-fungible tokens, possibly to be used as money on a blockchain. Right? You have a nice non-fluctuating asset that you could use to price things in. Possibly, they might track the U.S. dollar, but they don't have to. They could, you know, you could have a stable coin that's maybe I don't know. It stays oh oh. oh it could be nine dollars and forty-five cents all the time. Maybe maybe we'll have something like that one day. But stable just means like. I don't wanna say a risk off, like a completely risk off asset, but a, like a, almost no volatility, especially compared to the rest of the crypto space. How's that for a baseline definition?
2: I'd say it's a great baseline definition. I think the only other piece I would add to it is typically stable coins have some sort of mechanism involved that helps kind of maintain that promise of stability. Um, these centralized stable coins like USDC, for instance, can be turned in for one U.S. dollar, you know, tied to uh, a bank account, supposedly. Right. And so it's the interaction of those redemptions that that ensures that arbitrage and, and various large market makers can ensure that things stay at the target price. Right. So that's that's the only that right. at, is there. Your front.
4: Your front.
3: <laughs> um yeah so this be- could i weigh in to real quick on that exact sure sure definition thing um i think the landscape is evolving so much it might be cool if we all start standardizing a couple different terms like Perfect. in my head i've been using stable coin peg coin and store of value coin for three different things that could all be called a stable coin so um, there's like a stable coin that's pegged to an ounce of gold. For example, Tether maintains one. There's a couple other decentralized ones. That's kind of a stable coin, but I call that a peg coin. Um, stable coins, in my mind, are pegged to fiat things specific, whether it's the U.S. dollar or another one, whether it's $1 or $0.95, cents, like you said. And then in my mind, store of value coins, I think, is what Silk is. Um, and maybe it's just the... Um, oh, God, what what's the word? Joe, like uh, semantics it might just be semantics in my mind, but um, I consider store of value coin things that serve a similar purpose as far as lack of volatility but maybe aren't as specifically pegged to any one thing they're more of a generalized store of value um, I don't know if anyone else agrees with me on that, but I've just been I seeing that distinction grow
1: I think that's right in my head, I have them classified into two groups I have algorithmic stable coins, and then I have um, backed stable coins. And obviously I could be, it might not cover the full spectrum of stables, right? So you mentioned USDC and there's also Tether. Supposedly they're both redeemable, right? Or at least backed by something, right? With Tether, I know Timmy, Timmy I would say 90% of Timmy's tweets are um, funding Tether. So we definitely to get into Tether and we could compare it to silk and maybe some others but as far as algorithmic stable coins they're not necessarily backed by anything tangible but Dai seems to be pretty successful being what it is or you could argue it's ba- it is backed by whatever the whatever is involved in the algorithm but the way i think of it is in those two groups oversimplification obviously you have algorithmic you have backed
2: Fascinating. So we, we I'll I'll have a I'll, we can kick it off with some interesting nomenclature debate in the sense that I would view the most overarching and approachable term is is stable point and I and I think that's anything that has a very low degree of volatility and there's a mechanism involved for maintaining that low volatility and then underneath that are centralized stable coins and decentralized stable coins. Um, I think that's like a very important like subtree underneath the term stablecoins. Centralized stablecoins have some sort of singular human counterparty whereas decentralized stablecoins typically are, you know, permissionless and tied to smart contracts. And then I think there's kind of another classification uh, tied to are you tracking a sovereign currency? Or are you tracking like an index of, of assets or currencies? And I think that's, you're using that for store of value to me, I think is really interesting was it was how you were describing that. So yeah, it's, it's a fascinating discussion on how, how we should talk about these things.
1: Can you, yeah, can you I, run I
3: just find nothing stable about the U S dollar these days.
1: Right. Well, there's that too, right? It could be tied to something that's rapidly losing value, but can you run down that list of nomenclature, the classifications again, and then Kit, you could definitely chime in.
2: Oh, from from my perspective, I would say stable coins as anything with a very minimal amount of volatility. And then under the subtree, you have centralized and decentralized. And there's kind of an additional tag tied to those categories. And that tag is what are you tracking? And you're either probably tracking a you know sovereign currency, like you're either tracking one thing, like I'm tracking gold or I'm tracking the dollar or you're tracking an index an index of things. So it's like an index table coin, or you're tracking one singular thing, and you're either a centralized table coin or a decentralized table coin.
1: Okay, that definitely helps. I would love for someone to just make an infographic for someone like me to be able to just see it all like right in front I of am, me. That is
3: insane you say that. I'm thinking in my head how much better this would be explained with visuals, and I might just create that. Um, listen i
1: I consider i consider infographics yeah go say it joe i know what you want to say i'll say infographics to me are the best content especially on twitter okay
3: (laughs) kid i don't want to jump ahead of you but just i quickly want to jump on carter i just would you consider something like pax g a stable coin which is paxos's gold pegged cryptocurrency
2: um that's a great question
3: because i guess that would depend on how volatile you consider gold to be right like right so that's what or is that a different category in your mind
2: well i think there's mechanisms and levers in place to have the digital representation of pax g track the real world price so i would say it's it has many of the characteristics of a stable coin but then it goes back to the volatility piece we'd have to come up with a universal kind of standard of how much how little volatility do you need to have to be considered a stable coin. So that's how I would handle that situation. Many of the mechanics of a stable coin, but like a good example is like mirror protocol had synthetic assets, right? You had something tracking Apple's stock or Google's stock. Yeah. And it's like, it's using the identical mechanisms of a stable coin, but clearly those things have a lot of volatility to them. So I would say volatility is the great definer of what we consider stable or not.
1: All right. Sorry to keep you waiting, Kit. What do you got?
5: Well, first of all, Tess, can you hear me?
1: You're good, yeah.
5: Okay. All right. I might be spotty here and there because I'm currently driving, but uh, I'm, I take a, a different route into a more of a dichotomy of thinking, okay, what is the problem that we're trying to solve with blockchain? In this sense, we're trying to label things, coins, when they're really token tokens and back them up by physical assets. In reality, what we should be doing and compare contrast of have Everything in re, you know real time, you know real world assets, even hard assets, to be um, substituted by what is a true coin. A coin is the native coin of per blockchain, and if we were going to create a stable coin, it would be based off the circulating supply of that coin. But instead, we are creating tokens and calling them stable coins, and then we're going to create more of a nomenclature off of it. So it's more of to be classified by dichotomy.
1: What do you guys think about that? Should we make the distinction between coin token?
2: Yeah, I would say that's that's probably more accurate to say stable token versus stable coin. It gets to, it, and that, that's the interesting thing about nomenclature debates is like consensus ends up, the consensus of like different social communities talking about these terms end up determining a lot of it. But sometimes, as we all know, the majority isn't necessarily best at defining the intricacies of some of these relationships. So, yeah, stable tokens is a, probably a more accurate term for what is typically by consensus called stable points.
1: All right, so let, let's move into Silk, right? Because Silk is a lot different than DAI. It's a lot different than UST. It's a lot different than USDC. Would you be able to give us just like the overview of Silk, what it's pegged to? and and a little bit about how it works for sure so
2: crypto started off with you know bitcoin and it has this the store of value narrative and it's it's very useful as a as a means of transactions but there started to be some problems that emerged with bitcoin the biggest piece was the volatility right like if i'm actually going to use something in commerce i want to be able to hold onto something that's not fluctuating hundreds and thousands of dollars daily. And there was like this very deep hunger in DeFi to have something that had stability. And so this is where centralized stable coins like Tether started to enter into the foray and DeFi really started leveraging uh, these decentralized stable coins uh, or stable tokens on chain. But then, you know, as a crypto community, we looked at that and said, wait a second, we should probably be building, we should probably be building the decentralized version of these stable coins like we shouldn't be trusting these centralized entities so what if we can make you know programmatic us dollar pegged uh stable coins that were backed by crypto collateral instead of being backed by some bank out there that claims it has us dollars that you can you know trade in and out of with you with your stable coin and so this is where Dai and you know the fraxes of the world uh, began to emerge but when shade protocol sat down to design silk, you know, two, two and a half years ago, we kind of looked at the crypto landscape and asked ourselves a very simple question. Why why is the future of finance creating these futuristic currencies that are permissionless and censorship resistant and yet still tracking just the U S dollar. We have this, massive opportunity to innovate and disrupt and, and build new definitions of stability. And yet over and over and over again, crypto is just defaulting to the US dollar, the US dollar, the US dollar. We're, we're, we're pegging these decentralized permissionless systems to centralized monetary systems that you know interest rates and inflation are completely out of the hands of the blockchain you know, community and the reason we you know the reason there's great demand for this is because the dollar is stable but what if what if you could design a stable coin that was able to track multiple things and what if governance had the ability over time to evolve what the stable coin is tracking and what the weights are tied to all the different assets and on top of that what if we could make it private what if we could make truly kind of unstoppable money and and that's what silk is silk is an over collateralized stable coin that uses the tried and true mechanisms of maker dow but it adds on privacy and the peg instead of tracking the us dollar is instead tracking uh it has uh, a weight a weight attached to each one of the different currencies and commodities and so silk actually tracks bitcoin it tracks gold it tracks the us dollar it tracks the euro it tracks the yen and the Canadian dollar. And over time, as more price feeds come online, Silk will be able to add new currencies and be able to shift around the different weights tied to what Silk is tracking. And eventually over time, if, if the shade governance community wants this, Silk could not could, you know, entirely remove sovereign currencies from its basket. If, if the dollar dollar's usefulness within the basket becomes detrimental because of a hyperinflationary scenario. Governance holders are able to evolve the basket away from these sovereign currencies. Meanwhile, all these other dollar peg stable coins are entirely attached to the future of the dollar. So much of this decentralized liquidity is tied to US inflation. And like the US dollar could become a shit coin and we've we've tied our fate to it. So we fundamentally believe in unstoppable money and privacy and permissionless participation and we have to design systems that are resilient beyond the present moment and that's what silk is all about
1: right so i'm definitely older than all you guys and i know that the price of almost everything in u.s dollar terms since i've been old enough to spend money since i've been about 14 15 years old has pretty much tripled everything whether it be food whether it be houses everything is tripled Gas is tripled, right? Cars, the price of the cheapest car you could buy, you know, is like twenty something thousand dollars. It was like eight thousand dollars. So a dollar is still a dollar, but it doesn't go very far at all. Stamps tripled, right? So little things like that. So what you're talking about, it sounds like is people might have to get used to not seeing a stable coin just say one zero zero. but they could they'll be able to rely on the fact that relative to their, at least to their crypto holdings it's going to be somewhat stable of a price in some terms but also maintain its buying power even if the united states dollar or whatever it's pegged to starts losing by buying power in a hurry like we saw the last basically three and a half years is that is that about right
2: yeah that's that's super accurate so silk is you know back tested 30 plus years at this point and so its volatility over time should be plus or minus two cents approximately. So it started when when Silk was born a month ago, its initial peg was a dollar and five cents. That's what all the different weights multiplied by the currency prices and amounts summates to. Um, but now today it's at a dollar and like essentially four cents and eight-tenths of a cent. So it's, it's very close to where it started. It's off by like two one-hundredths of a cent from where it started. And this is very, this is very low, low volatility. And the idea is that, you know, as the U.S. dollar potentially depreciates in value, you would actually see the value of your silk position in terms of the U.S. dollar increase. So a year from now. That-
1: okay, that was question. That's it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it ends up being like, oh, one silk is worth a dollar and seven cents potentially by the end of 2023. There's no promising that, there's no guaranteeing that because it's it's an aggregate basket that's hedging against you know inflation because you have gold in there and you have Bitcoin, but it's ultimately like it's it's an index whose performance is in aggregate a very interesting hedge against any single currency
1: so Timmy, I know that you just don't like Tether, but you could make the argument Tether's been pretty successful, maybe like the most reliable stablecoin, right but do you think what he's saying? is about right that we should we should see maybe a stable coin like silk never be the same price as something like tether that's because i believe Tether's mostly backed by dollars or something you know equivalent to dollars
3: <laughs> yeah sure they're backed um a hundred percent Yes. No, I am fully in favor of what I call store of value tokens that diversify between fiats, uh, commodities, other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, you know, big blue chip ones. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd say like the, the four main reasons I was super interested in, in joining this call and in the Shade and Silk project in particular is one that I really dislike Tether and I do think it's possibly a ticking time bomb. However, my views on it are more nuanced like you said Joe like you could also argue it's a success. Yes, I think it also might just be redefining what money is. That's possible. Who knows? But uh two is I'm a big oracle nut so I'm really interested to dig into how you guys are sourcing off-chain price data like you know what what the yen is worth versus the US dollar or gold or that sort of thing and then Four would be that I totally agree. I don't think the U.S. dollar is stable and that when we take flight in, say, a bear market to something, it's hard to speak in generalizations about this because markets are wild. But I I don't like the U.S. dollar. So, yeah, that is like a huge reason that I'm excited about your project I wanted to be here tonight is pegging something to the U.S. dollar is a good first step for crypto in allowing the DeFi market we currently have to have emerged and flourish but we gotta keep, keep innovating and pushing for stuff like Silk, for well, sure.
1: Carter can definitely comment on the price feeds and how Silk is pulling in the data for all those different assets that, are, that shouldn't really be too tightly correlated compared to a lot of the others.
2: 100%, before I speak to the Oracle thing, I'll also say this, uh, Timmy, just in relation to the innovation piece. Two years ago when we set out to build it and we outlined this, I had went to conference after conference where I described it to people and everyone was like, nah, like that's not going to work. The world, the world isn't ready for that. That's not like people only want dollars. Like you're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. Right. And like the team had conviction for two years that like they're the market, p- people want to hold something that's truly resilient, truly decentralized and it's quirky. It's different. It's weird. But like, Ten years from now, will it truly be quirky and weird, or will it were in hindsight, will it have been obvious that the whole point of crypto was to embrace more unstoppable versions, more stable versions of money than just these sovereign countries can back, right? So it's it's been a story of resilience to get where we are today. And you know, there's only um like, you know, three point three million silk in the first month, and it's it's early, it's very, very early, but I'm, exceeded, I'm very excited to see more and more people believe and pick up on the vision of Silk and like where they choose to store their value becomes not only a question of security and stability, but also one of, of ethos. And I think Silk is, is well positioned to really speak to that, that group of people. Um, on the Oracle front, right now, the Band protocol is the source of data feeds. So they essentially pipe in data uh, onto Secret network for all the different smart contracts to be able to query from. Um, if any price feed doesn't get piped in to be to be queryable, there is a mechanism where the silk peg and in what it's tracking becomes a static stable coin. We actually, and I'm sure Timmy, I'm sure you saw this tweet because I, I I know you, you you track these things. What actually happened? Secret network uh, went offline for, for twelve hours. And so all the Silk smart contracts, all the stability mechanisms essentially started, it essentially treated Silk as, you know, a dollar and four cents, right? It was like, it was frozen at that point in time, all stability mechanisms are pointing back towards that. And then once the Oracle data feeds come back online, there's this this renormalization process, and then Silk once again becomes a dynamic stable coin where ooh, now Silk is tracking a dollar and four like four cents and now it's tracking a dollar and five cents right like it kind of resumed its its process of tracking those those changing price feeds so band protocol has been a good solution they have a very limited number of available price feeds although in fairness to them that's because they actually have really good standards for what they consider a stable asset that they can actually pipe information in on Um, we're looking to next aggregate band protocol with oho Uh, UMI has bumped into the same exact problem that we bumped into, and a lot of Cosmos projects are finding out about this, which is Cosmos does not have a great, rapidly growing Oracle project. And UMI, because they're a money market, are very much reliant on being able to onboard assets into a a safe Oracle. And so they kind of spun up uh, OHO as a solution for this. So we're actively working um, with the OHO team on test nets, and eventually we'll be aggregating between these two different Oracle solutions, and ideally one day Chainlink comes to Cosmos, ideally there's you know a fourth solution, a fifth solution, and we're aggregating across a consensus of multiple Oracles. So do I feel good about the Oracle setup right now? I, I, I feel solid. We've, we've survived one stress test in terms of 12 hours of downtime. I will sleep much, much better once we're aggregating across two Oracle solutions instead of one.
1: Can, can I just reset the room really quick? Because we did have some people trickle in the last couple of minutes. So we're talking about stable coins. We got some basic uh, nomenclature out of the way. Now we're going to focus more on Silk, which is basically like the linchpin to the Shade DeFi suite of apps on the secret network. And I really like what Shade is building. Carter showed it to me a few months ago. We made a video together as it got you know, launched. And one by one, they're just rolling out, you know, the the DeFi primitives that we've come to know the last couple of years. And Silk is that privacy-preserving stable coin, right? Um, and you said what, there's about three million dollars in liquidity f- so far? Uh 3.3
2: 3 million silk in circulation and 6.5 million dollars worth of assets, crypto assets backing uh the silk.
1: Any liquidity outside of secret network or is it only on that one blockchain right
2: so now? so far it's only on secret network we started up a forum post on osmosis um or have multiple conversations to get silk integrated into other money markets in the cosmos which i won't say their names out loud but you can count on silk to be spread far and wide and we're also interested i mean yeah we want silk on every single decks in cosmos right like whether you're you're forged whether you're um you know a osmosis whether you're um like a duality or astroport like we we want to make sure silk is spread far and wide and that people have access in the cosmos to alternatives to the u.s dollar stable coins like ist um like pulling a blank right now yeah besides the other decentralized us dollar stable coins that are emerging in cosmos like cmst
1: All right. That's, that sounds good. I think it'd be great to have a lot more stablecoin pools on either Osmosis, Kajira, whatever the case might be. And then even within Shade, right? What's, it's just swap, right? Shade's Dex is just called swap.
2: Yep. Shade, Shade Swap. So we, we, okay. we very intentionally made the app name simple. We found that a lot of these platforms out there have like a unique name for every product. And then as a user, you roll up and it's like, Oh what? yeah, what's this? What's this? So shade swap shade land, like the, the names are kept simple.
1: I like that because I use Kajira now. I like playing around with Kajira and you have to be like a marine biologist to know the names of like the, uh, the different <laughs> apps. And I'm like, I'm like, what the, hell? I have to always look at it. I'm like, hey, wait, is this the order book decks? Or is this the order book decks? Is this the, uh, the AMMs? But, um, I I remember you explaining like this is called swap this is called lend I'm like oh finally you're you're taking into account someone like me who's you know surfing blockchains basically I want to just jump in do what I have to do on a chain and not have to learn defi all over again so I definitely appreciate that when you when you um said that to me the first time and I was like oh I've actually never seen anyone do that before and it seems like it should have been done from day 1
2: I mean it's a little bit harder to market it's not as sexy as like, you know, insert flashy new buzzword. And everyone's like, Ooh, what is that? It's, it's a lot less exciting to be like, yeah, it's the shade bridge, shade lens, shade swap. Like there's such simple names that people might forget the complexity of beauty of what each one of those primitives represent. But, you know, we prioritize really three things internally our, our, our core values as builders and in full transparency. Some of these only evolved in hindsight. And it's really simplicity, cohesion, and privacy are the three things that we're really focused
1: on. Well, I mean, you could market the hell out of Silk. That just sounds good, right? I think uh, Finn is in here. Maybe Finn can um, whip up an R&B song called Silk for The Secret Network and apply for a grant or something. Yeah, he'll definitely do it, actually. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Any advantage besides what we discussed being that you know, you're you in the United States, I think some, some of the other secret people are based in the United States, not pegging a stable coin one-to-one with the US dollar. It, is that by design? Is there a regulatory advantage or is it just better for the, the stability or the store of value to not be pegged 100% to one fiat currency?
2: So it's a great question, Joe and I know you've asked me questions like this before, but it's definitely great for the audience to get context on this. Two, two years ago, you know, we I, I go to crypto events, we have people on the team that go to crypto events, and it, it's becoming very clear that there's gonna be frameworks that emerge that aren't going to be very friendly towards anyone that claims the US dollar brand, tied to their, their token, right? So, hypothetically, we we don't know this to be true yet. It's only conversations that we've had with people that can say, yes, you're positioning yourself very, very well. But Silk's ability to evolve its basket away from the U.S. dollar, away from the euro, away from any of these things, is an incredible, powerful tool. If you think about how slow legislation moves, think about how slow legal frameworks move, Imagine what happens when they say, hey, anyone with, you know, the U.S. dollar part of it is going to be banned, right? Like it it doesn't matter if you're a decentralized coin, centralized coin, unless you're using the CBDC. If you have the U.S. dollar part of your, your thing, we're coming after you. Now, silk would have a fork in the road. It could choose to maintain the U.S. dollar as part of its basket. And kind of be able to say hey well we're not we're not pegged to just the dollar it happens to be part of this this index in this basket and that's already like a really strong protection in its own right but it has an even another bigger backup card which is it could remove the us dollar entirely from its basket and it could do that in a matter of you know two weeks one single governance proposal imagine how preposterous it would be to have you know some letter show up to some dow right it's 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 a, it's a decentralized Governance, too, right? So I don't even know where they would send that letter to. But let's say it did, to be able to within two weeks be able to say, oh, and by the way, Silk has nothing to do with the US dollar. I mean, that's if that isn't a massive, elegant, and beautiful middle finger to how slow and tedious legal systems are, then I, I don't know what is.
4: Carter,
3: first off, that is beautiful. Couldn't agree more. I'm wondering how that would actually work, though assuming that a majority of the current backing for silk that's currently in circulation would be in U S dollar denominated things, or is that not the plan? Are we planning to keep it a minority? Like, like, cause, t- cause taking away that much obviously would remove the backing for silk that's out there.
2: So the, the beauty is like, you can always renormalize the weights. So like if you remove the U S dollar and you place it with everything else, you're not going to see An immediate like price jerk on silk up or down with the u.s dollar removed you would instead see potentially additional volatility played out over the course of the next year or two right so that's the trade-off of that where you lose the u.s dollar and its actual stability that we inherit when we're tracking it
3: wait that's the part i don't understand what percent of silk is u.s dollar backed uh 30 roughly 33 percent oh okay okay see that that's where i was under a Misunderstanding, I thought it was more than that. Okay, sorry, continue.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the interesting piece is it's, you know, roughly 33% of what Silk is tracking is is the US dollar, but we can nimbly move that out. We can substitute it. We can, we can add in additional commodities. We could give a heavier weight towards the yen or the Euro or whatever other currency, and it'll be up to governance to really evolve in that direction. And my dream one day is every year that there would be an annual, you know, shade protocol one day is like a multi-billion dollar protocol and the most aggressive grant given out every year is essentially like a silk back tech a back test competition where we're constantly pushing like researchers to redefine the basket and to come up with an even more stable system or to have these rollback plans for what if the us dollar gets banned what if the euro gets banned what if bitcoin goes to zero like having all those different backup baskets in place in the event of emergency and so when, so when a catastrophe happens boom shade governance is on it and boom silk stability resumes and not only does it resume but it's better positioned than anything else in, in the space to actually be stable there'll be this massive vacuum just like how when ust you know got destroyed and there was this massive vacuum like imagine the vacuum that gets created in defi if us denominated decentralized stable coins get banned right like there'd be a massive vacuum and, and silk would be position to help to potentially be a safe haven in in that environment.
1: Timmy, I've only got one more question on my end. And then, of course, you could ask whatever you want, but I definitely would like to give some people in the audience a chance to come up and really ask about anything related to Shade. I think Shade is a really nice suite of DeFi apps. And like I said, Silk is right in the middle of it. My question is regarding the supply. How does the supply expand with Silk? Right, what does that look like? Right now you said there's only a couple million in liquidity, you would like to 100x that in the next bull market. What happens there? Does it affect the price temporarily?
2: Sure. So silk silk the, the beauty of stablecoins is as demand increases, there's mechanisms in place for the supply to safely expand to meet it. Um essentially let's say silk is its peg is at a dollar and five cents. That's what everything, the basket summates to. And people start buying silk from liquidity pools such that silk is now trading at a dollar seven or a dollar eight cents, right? There's then this arbitrage opportunity for someone to come onto Shade Lend, lock up a bunch of Atom or a bunch of Osmo, mint out silk, Um, And they're they're minting it out at the target peg rate, right? Which would be like a dollar and five cents. But the market is treating it like it's a dollar and seven cents. And so that gap there means an arbor can mint out silk at the dollar and five cent rate, immediately go and sell the silk on a Dex and that drives the peg back to the target peg price. And in the process of them locking up the collateral and minting out the silk, they've just expanded the supply of silk to meet the excess demand so that is how the supply of silk organically grows
3: understood I'll, also, I'll just throw in that any process that can be profitable like what carter just described will inevitably be automated and botted too which sort of ensures that like arbitrage is that's what ensures arbitrage on a lot of stable coins across exchanges um but we'll also sort of play into what carter was describing inherently i think
1: got it okay um yeah and if anyone wants to Mike, please request. And Timmy, what else do you have? I know you have lots of stablecoin questions.
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: I I happily have a bunch of stuff I'd like to talk about. Sure, that sure. being said, please, anyone who'd like to come up, do, do so and cut me off at any point. Kit, that goes for you as well. Um,
1: and I'd just like to say just the way things have been the last few weeks, weather's getting nicer doing these spaces at erratic times. This is the most people we've had physically in the space at one time as well. So this is a definitely a topic that's resonating with a lot of people. And I'm guessing it has to do with almost everyone getting touched up to an extent by UST, right?
3: Yeah, I, I would imagine everyone felt,
1: everyone in crypto felt that. I think sense. we're still feeling it. I, I yeah. think that, I think Absolutely. the US, Those are people's profits that they set to the side and they got eliminated. So, uh, but some of the,
3: like, I won't go too far into this. Don't worry. But some of the bearish, like price action that we're seeing is coming from bearish news from like U S government regulators and such Uh, much of it surrounding crypto being used to fund like terrorism, fentanyl trafficking, this sort of stuff. We all scoff at that. That is what Tether is doing. And I'm not going to get into that tonight, but like, this is a very important topic, getting a stable coin that can fix all of these issues, like transparency in its backing it's pegged to something more reliable than a fiat currency, um, decentralized in nature, et cetera, et cetera. Like it, it's more, I think it's more directly correlated with the markets than even UST, like just the price action we've been lately seeing a couple steps removed, but I believe fully that it is because of Tether, a stable point. Yo,
4: what's up guys? Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you.
1: Hey, what's up, man? Hey, uh,
4: so we were talking about Tether and all of these crimes, but given that uh shade and silk is on secret network and the privacy aspect, doesn't you know, psychology dictate that more more of these issues would happen on silk as it grows, right? And then and, and then another question I had was uh, what what made you guys want to launch on Secret Network. And I'm not saying this as a way to batch Secret Network, but given the recent price action and the way everything has gone, it seems like, you know, the um, project hasn't really gained much traction. You guys are really the only thing that's keeping it alive. And when when are when is your plan to really launch the Shade Protocols, not just the Silk Stablecoin, but uh, on other chains?
2: Gotcha. Could you... Wait, wait, wait. I mean, can you can you repeat that first question one more time? I got I got the secret network question. What was the first yeah, part? Yes. Sorry, I'm not the
4: German. I'm like, it's loud as hell here. But um, uh, just just based on the tether, uh, I think Tendermint me uh, mentioned uh, that like all all of these uh, fentanyl stuff that's happening with tether, right? Like, doesn't uh, having a private stable coin dictate that you know more more of those issues would arise? And if it's even more private, right, less traceable.
2: Um, gotcha okay so first off two wonderful questions these these are these are really really good questions so the first piece is silk is ibc compatible right so silk once it leaves seeker network is a totally transparent stablecoin there's actually a world where silk grows you know two years from now there's like you know 100 million silk 200 milk in circulation and there's a world where actually the vast majority of that supply lives on a transparent blockchain like Osmosis. That's completely, completely possible. And within that totally transparent environment, now the problems tied to what you've described, where people are worried about mixers and, and privacy, become, become less, less prevalent, right? So that, there's a world where that happens. Um, the second piece is also the tooling on Seeker Network is very interesting. Um, this, this more goes to a deeper philosophical ethos piece. I refuse to give in to the like give into a world where defi helps facilitate the surveillance state. The whole point of crypto is sovereignty and empowering people with their finances. And so the very attributes that people would say are dangerous are the very same things that are protections. And the reason we chose Secret Network is because, you know, to this date, it, it is the it is the only blockchain with privacy preserving smart contracts that gives you the tooling to easily be able to build out these powerful apps and primitives using the existing cryptographic you know, primitives that Secret Networks, Secret Network provides. So privacy is worth protecting. If I have a business. And I want to, and I want to pay a contractor on chain, or I want to em, pay employees on chain, and I don't want the rest of the world to know what I'm paying them. Like I need privacy. If I'm if I'm a trader and I've developed an incredibly complex DeFi strategy, and that's totally transparent, people can copycat trade me, and everything that I've worked hard to create, my my creativity and my alpha, it goes away. If I'm if I'm a retail user or an institution, and I've put, you know tens of millions of dollars into a lending position, and I'm completely naked for the whole world to see my liquidation price point. That that's, that's dangerous. Privacy is equitable in the world of DeFi. It helps solve the, you know, ShadeSwap, for instance, is 100% front-running resistant. You need encrypted mempools or you start to have centralization at the block production level because there's value that can be extracted from users. Privacy in cryptography is not it shouldn't be seen as, as dangerous. E-commerce, when it first emerged with Net- Netscape back in the 1990s and 2000s, they, they literally invented cryptography for commerce because that was needed in order to protect you know, their customers' data. So this narrative that's emerged that, oh, like total transparency, good, any amount of privacy is bad, is, is ludicrous. It's a battle that our industry has to draw a line on. We, we have to be willing to fight for it and sure is there a world where they come and they, they ban any form of privacy sure but you can you can bet your ass i'll be there building and there'll be hundreds of us out there still building privacy preserving technology because privacy empowers people and finance deserves to be free
4: yeah thank you for that that was a very passionate answer i can sense it. um and, and look i i agree because you know crypto like The main two purposes it serves, in my opinion, or should serve is separating, you know, uh, money from the state and then uh, privacy. And it's really unfortunate that like the privacy aspect hasn't gained as much traction as it needs to. And perhaps maybe some bad catalyst needs to happen for people to finally realize. But, um, you know, it's kind of rare to get a response where, you know, a lot of protocols are building, chasing liquidity. uh, but it sounds like you guys are trying to build a tool for a private decentralized money first and let the liquidity naturally flow in there organically.
2: 100%. And this also, like, we believe in tooling that empowers the compliance too, right? So we want to have tooling where you're going to be able to use the Shave Protocol app and click on CSV download and all of your transactions on this privacy-preserving DeFi locally on your device is, you know, decrypted. And so you can hand it off to a tax expert. You can get audited and you can reveal that. But the key is sovereignty. You're the one that decrypts, right? You are not forced into total transparency, right? Like it is, it is the sovereignty that we, this is a war over sovereignty. And that still means we still need to have the tooling. We still need to be able to plug in privacy-preserving DeFi into compliance frameworks. We need to have that tooling there. But make no mistake, the battle is over sovereignty. Awesome. Thank thank you for that.
3: First off, Carter, you're you're singing to my soul. I love Everything you're saying resonates with me. Um, Like, even just DeFi being more fair already in its sort of primitive state. Like, I personally lost the vast majority of my crypto wealth on an exchange that I later found out was, you know, looking at their users' liquidation points, right? Pretty common, actually, turns out. Um, But I think I've realized we kind of skipped something maybe basic for a lot of the non-devs in the room, including myself. Um, And I'm sure it's a simple answer. I think it's probably one of two possibilities. But how does having a collateral-backed stablecoin work on a network that's private as far as people being able to look and see that the assets backing it are actually there. I'm sure every dev in this room, just facepalm. That's probably a stupid question, but I think to an average user, that's actually going to come up when they think into this more. They're like, wait, it's on secret. You can't see anything. How do we know that the assets in the treasury are actually there? Um, give, give us a, yeah, like an explain like I'm five answer for that. Cause I think I know the answer, but I'm not a dev myself. So I'm curious.
2: Sure. So uh, I was on a, podcast with Laura Shin, it was for, it was for some premium subs. We were were talking about, talking about MEV and the fundamental principle that I would espouse is, is transparency for public goods, privacy for individuals, right? So this stands true for the smart contracts. There's macro statistics that can be queried so everyone can collectively know, Oh, Hey, like, their, their solvency, right? This is this isn't a black box. There's a couple of key macro statistics that can be queried on the smart contract level, so everyone knows it's good to go. But then the individual positions themselves and the individual token interactions with the smart contract, all of those pieces of data are kept are kept encrypted. So that's that's the primary goal there.
3: Okay. So would correct me if I'm wrong. I think the the dumbed down answer there is secret network allows for selective privacy. Yes. Like I think don't I think not everybody even knows that. Yes. And so you guys are taking advantage of
2: making some stuff public and open and other stuff private. 100%. Awesome. 100%. That cool. I need to, I need to adapt that language that it's selective privacy. People don't know that about secret
3: I don't think. I I think they maybe have noticed that like they have to do that wrapping phase to get into the secret version of the assets. But, like, I promise you the average user is thinking that's just some other bridge or something and assuming secret's just private across the board. Yeah.
2: Super helpful stuff.
3: Kit, feel free to jump in. Go for it.
5: Well, I don't want to really destroy the space with something that's a little bit more Eli 20. But uh, if you don't mind, could I?
3: No, yeah. I think we'll get there eventually anyways.
5: Okay, so what I did did enjoy is your example of cryptography. You know, crypto is not an asset, but cryptography of, you know, encrypting your uh, data. Currently, people that are Windows users, if you look into your Windows folders, uh, Microsoft has a, actually is a part of the ISO, which is the International Standards Operations, called the TPM, which is a trusted platform module that your computer IP is encrypted into its own private block, which is owned by Microsoft Windows. Um, In that case, all the certificates that are signed does not give a cache file with the actual source code. It actually is encrypted, and only like-minded licensees can actually read to verify that your interactions are legal or not. does not mean everything is docs to the government, but let's say, okay, there is something a little fishy. The government does a quick uh, audit request to Microsoft to verify if this is a certificate that was uh, negligent or derelict, and then they can verify yes or no, and further on, it pass it on to the authorities if need be. Um, that would be very centralized, but yet that is what we're currently utilizing with cryptography. Yes, it has been around since the 1970s, 1980s, and actually implemented as a national standard, international standard, sorry, since the 90s. The one thing I do want to say, not everybody necessarily can, it, I mean, people rely on these trusted platforms. Uh, if you're scared of Microsoft, then you can go ahead and go through the computer language interface and use straight off Linux or Manix. Um, in that case, you'll be writing a Genesis seed phrase, etc., using straight Linux off the uh, language interface. But in all of what you're explaining to me, my whole banter is everything you are explaining right now is exactly what's happening. But in this case, you're taking away the median of a centralized form of an entity. And you're saying that these individuals don't need to learn Linux, they're able to basically take sovereignty over their own information and just work directly. And if something happens that the encrypted information doesn't point the finger towards anybody, but I mean, you have to comply. You can just point them like here, here's the, uh, this is the, the block number go find out what the encryption is.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's essentially, that's essentially the dream. I I think you've, first off, I'd love to connect with you separately because it sounds like you have a really deep understanding of the, history of some of this cryptography. So I'd love to, if you want to chuck me a DM, I'd love to uh, love to connect with you sometime and I'm definitely gonna give you a follow. But yes, I would say what you've described is, is something we'd aspire to, which is select the ability to selectively reveal to individual counterparties, but then 99.9% of the rest of the world can't see your data. It's just It's just that 1% you choose to share with. And then eventually, you should have really granular control over what you share, right? You should be able to share, you know, I want to I reveal my transactions from, you know, May 30th all the way back to January, and I should be able to hand off a viewing key to someone so they can view this data, and maybe that viewing key expires in an hour, right? So, like, there really is no, like, this whole world of privacy-preserving blockchain and private smart contracts, like, it's we're so freaking early. Like, it, it, the MVPs for this stuff came out in, like, 2020, 2021, and I know there's other private blockchains that are going to start launching, and that's great. That's phenomenal. Like the industry will wake up to the potential, and I just like to think that Shade Protocol was happens to be the one that we're dreaming about private DeFi and and this world long before others.
3: I mean, I'll I'll, I'll just give you a quick shout out too. I think the really appealing thing about Shade is that you're not relying on the privacy aspect as the main selling point. You're really tackling Kind of like at the beginning of this space, when I went through like the four main reasons that brought me here, you're tackling a number of issues all in one pretty cohesive manner. And it's like, it's very exciting. Yeah. More than more than just privacy. Cause like you said, it, it, that's part of it, but it can also be IBC elsewhere and just used like a normal store value coin. And like the flexibility there and all that entails is great.
2: And Timmy, that my question for you would be, how do we learn how, how does how can we better educate people about how holistic what we're trying to build? Because it's it's a problem we've had internally. We've had people on the marketing team, people in the community be like, you know, we're too focused on a DEX or too focused on the stable coin or not focused enough on the privacy. It's like so hard to try to explain to people how much is happening in parallel.
3: That's a yeah, that's a tough one because I think it, it probably requires the people on the receiving end of that information to have some level of understanding of each of the problems you're trying to tackle rather than just one or two of them that seem most important to them. But, um, I, I would love to like try and help you guys with that. Uh, I think that's like, uh, we should DM. Um, I have, we we can figure some stuff out whether it's just some more spaces um can help create some like content and articles for Interchain Info and some other stuff and just in general brainstorm ways you guys can kind of communicate your. I like the word holistic. Honestly, that's often associated with like holistic medicine, but it really also fits here. It's a holistic. It's a full stack approach. Maybe we'll say that to keep it more techie.
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll de- I'll definitely follow up with you on that. Thanks for
3: um, that kick. No problem, Kit. Also, you're a little bit spotty just so you know, or was that just me? Was she kind of a little connection? She just rather
1: okay. little bit, little bit. Yeah.
3: We could hear you, but just FYI, um, in case you're on the move or something might get
4: worse.
1: I think I want to give Carter, um, a chance to maybe top two shade protocol, recent developments that people should be aware of top three last couple weeks couple months and then we could we could wrap it up soon if nobody's got any more questions but i think this was a good one and Timmy, you're right we should we should follow up another stable coin or even just a shade protocol all-purpose space i think that would be awesome but yeah carter last couple weeks or months what's most exciting going on with shade
2: it's been it's been crazy busy um the weird part about being a builder especially in a bear market is It feels like you're never doing enough in in a way, right? Because there's always like community and people that like, you know that they're in a tough spot. We know everyone in Cosmos is in a tough spot. So people look to leadership, they look to the builders, and they look for other people in the community to be like, oh, like we're making genuine progress. Like price might be going down 20%, but like despite that, there's all these amazing things. Um, So I'll I'll walk through a list of some of the integrations we've had. Uh, We've integrated uh, Quicksilvers staking derivative, we've integrated strides staking derivative, we've integrated um, persistence one staking derivative, all three of those on shade swap in the last month. So that was like really, really big deal to have all the derivatives in one place. There's not many DEXs that are able to do that in like a two, two and a half week time span. Um, We also onboarded a bunch of the decentralized stable coins on the shade swap. Right. We have uh, IST on the stable swap. We have CMST. And we're going to be looking to be adding in, I think this is publicly, yeah, this is publicly confirmed. USK is going to be coming to ShadeSwap as well. And Silk will also be appearing on the Kajira platform. So just on the staking derivative and stablecoin front, all sorts of integrations. I always like to say there's two things that can't be forked, uh, community and integrations. So every time we add on an integration, um, always puts a smile on my face because it's really hard to replicate that. And whenever the community grows, you also, it's really difficult to replicate culture like that on the fly. Um, separate from integrations, more on the product front, we uh, we just launched the Ethereum bridge. So Ethereum users through Axelar on the Shade Bridge interface, you can bridge in USDC, USDT, wrapped Bitcoin, wrapped ETH, and there'll be more and more support for additional ERC-20s. Uh, this is a really big deal because tomorrow, and I guess we'll link this on the space, Uh, ETH and BTC pools are going to be coming to ShadeSwap tomorrow. And that bridge interface means, you know, an Ethereum user will roll up, they'll connect their Kepler, they'll connect their MetaMask, and they'll be a couple clicks away from interacting with with Shade DeFi. And we really aspire to make the onboarding experience as seamless as other L2s. Um, Where, like, I think Ethereum users should be interacting with Cosmos app chains, and not even know that they're on a Cosmos chain. Like that—that's what we should aspire to with the user experience. And so we're very, very focused on the bridging experience. We also launched um, a, fee, a fee grant uh, feature. This is like the first ever in Cosmos. This specific usage of it, we actually had to get Kepler to push a PR to their wall because it's such a complex feature. Um, but the the user story is: What if someone bridges in from Cosmos, like Adam? or Osmo and they don't know anything about secret network, but they do know what shade protocol is. So what we do is, you know, previously if you bridged in say Osmo and you had no secret on secret network, you wouldn't be able to interact with shade DeFi because everything requires secret network transactions. And it also gets a little hairier than that because like how do you get your Osmo off of Secret Network if you don't have Secret? So as a whole, this you know first time user story is really, really rough. And Osmosis solved this because on the blockchain level they gave out free transactions, although recently they kind of reverted away from that, right? But Shape Protocol Solution is really interesting. What we do is leveraging the fee grant module on Secret Network, what we'll do is we'll actually take the user's regular Osmo, um, we'll wrap it into the secret version of Osmo, we'll trade it to Secret Secret for them, and then we'll unwrap it back to the L1 token, and we'll actually cover the gas costs for them for them to essentially acquire gas. And so there was like this cold start problem, which is like, how does the user get gas without having gas in the first place? And so now we actually, with a fee grant module, we we actually are able to cover the cost of the fee grant because they're able to swap a very small amount of their L1 token for gas. And users have no idea, you know, the four or five multi-execute transactions fee grant behind all of it, and they shouldn't. All they should need to know is like, oh, I've bridged in, I don't have any gas, no problems, I can get gas, right? Um, and eventually we want to abstract this away, where like, and this is this is like really dirty to say this out loud, but eventually we're going to move away from the secret terminology. People won't even know that they're um, buying secret. They're just going to be buying transactions. That's actually like the ultimate abstraction. Is like what are, what 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 the hell are these L1 gas tokens, right? I, like what? a normal person doesn't know what necessarily what Osmo or SCRt or Juno is. They just want to use a Dex, right? They just want to use a lending product. They don't they don't know what gas is. So that'll that'll be the end state.
1: No, that sounds really good because really the validators care more about the L1 token than the, the casual user who maybe comes from ETH. They don't want to see all wow. these token ticker symbols all over a DEX that they want to use. Maybe they're just going in for one one swap. So I think that's really good. Any any mobile apps coming from Shade? That's the last question I got from a uh, someone in my DMs. M-B-O. Yes.
2: So mobile is actively under development. Uh, I, we were actually going to tease. I have a video on my phone of the mobile app, currently. Um, so I think we were going to tweet it out tomorrow, but I think the ETH and BTC pools will probably take the spotlight. But for anyone wondering, mobile support is coming. There's a dev spending 100% of their time on it right now. And it looks beautiful. It looks really, really good. And you're going to be able to swap on it. You're going to be able to, the, you know, the analytics page will be available. Staking will also, also be on there. Bridging will be on there. Like all of your favorite shape Protocol apps are going to be on there. And uh, speaking of which, too, staking one on testnet on Tuesday, so you can look forward to uh, shade staking, the fee share uh, mod- module stuff coming online either this upcoming week or the following week. We'll finally have shade staking live, and we I, I like to and then the final seventy percent of the airdrop, of course, tied to that too.
1: Cool. You guys have a lot. I think we need to we need to catch up. I plan to do an, a, a shade video. I'm actually going to compare shade and wind, do like a side by side. Type of comparison, even though they're kind of similar, but not really. When you're re- from from a far away, they kind of are similar in that they are the the DeFi suite for their respective chains. But once you get into the different actual apps, there's a lot of a lot of nuance there. So I'll probably hit you up to make sure I got it right before I um before I go into that. And of course, maybe we could do another space. It could just be something about privacy and compliance, right? Where we could focus on Shade, Secret Network. I think that would be. Really helpful for people to understand, um, but no thanks, Timmy, for helping me out as usual. Kit, appreciate you. Curious Jay, nice to talk to you again. I um, I knew stable coins was going to be a good topic. I think that the bear market really is going to become prolonged because of the just complete disappearance of of money out of the ecosystem because of what happened to UST. I think, I think that even though stable coins. Added market cap when it was all said and done. When a major stablecoin depegs, and we almost had USDC de-peg as well, it's almost like now there's way more risk and way more volatility than there was, right? So the UST depeg—it's not only affecting Anchor Protocol. There were, you know, pools on AMMs that were some of the deepest on those chains, like Osmosis and others, where UST just sucked the liquidity dry. People that were putting aside their profits, going for easy APR, had their tokens locked up, they're gone. They can't even buy at these prices, some people, even though it's a year later. So stable coins, definitely an interesting, interesting topic. We got some of the nomenclature out of the way in the beginning. I'm gonna to re-listen to that actually. We talked about centralized versus decentralized, what it means for stable coins, exactly what can be tracked, right? The the different positions that are backing Silk. And how they can be changed on a dime by governance is really interesting um and of course whether or not they're actually coins tokens i think i think kit's right i think tokens is it's gonna be hard to get people to change but i think they, they're tokens i i agree so thank you guys again and um we'll do this soon carter we have to we're we're, we're due every quarter we have to do <laughs> some content
2: well and one other uh, i'll give one last shout out to you. speaking of USP, sure we're pulling together all the staking derivatives for a staking derivative summit and you, you brought up ust i think another potential black swan in cosmos is staking derivatives right um shade paper-
1: i already did a video on that oh. they're scary
2: <laughs> amazing all right you're already on top of your i was gonna say we're super integrated with staking derivatives but we're also very very cognizant of like how much risk it also introduces so i think that'd be another very interesting Uh, Twitter. Oh, it
1: definitely will. I'm going to have stride on in the next like two or three weeks. So we, I was supposed to have them a couple months ago. It got rugged. And then one thing after another, but yeah, stride will be in the next week or two. Um, I have, um, a space next week. Oh, sorry. On, on the 13th, I believe about the end of cosmos airdrops, which some people believe we've seen our last major airdrop long ago and, um, stride, I have one on privacy actually with Nim. I think that'll be cool because I don't know much about them. And then we could do a follow-up with with Secret. And, uh, oh, Crescent. So I have a, I have a bunch of these DeFi 101s coming up, trying to get like three or four more done before the end of June and get back on track for uh, 40 for the year. But appreciate everyone who listened to the end. A lot of people stuck it out, which is awesome. Hopefully, hopefully you learned something. I definitely did. And I'm going to go back and listen to that. The... The nomenclature part I think is really important when you're trying to learn something from scratch. There's always a vocabulary that you have to master. So have a great one and see you guys next time.
0: Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was DeFi 101, Episode 14, Stable Coins with Shade Protocol. Recorded on Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. if you want to keep listening... Head on over to terraspaces.org slash donate and show some support now.
1: There's
0: this principle in like Daoism. there's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably kinda of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism. Dow worth like, the more you fight something, the more, like, the opposite of what you want. <laughs> inevitably, it kind of starts to happen. Tripping on the bird app, listening to nerds slap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web3. That's why they can't fly, they just drowning in the bird bath, fishing for some dry powder. Watch how we ignite the tower, blowing up the bank accounts for getting out of like the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preaching open sauce, but don't listen to the code, and now it's mutiny, community, uprise. This no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side of the line you're beating out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking Westside shit, needle and noose. Sticking with my armory, Yam, Beta, and Bruce. Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth. Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue. GM fam, is it really is it worth all the effort? Is it really worth all the fighting? Drama? And the answer, I think, is weird percent They started using Zoom, now we've been to Zoom out. Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about. Little baby bitches when they choose to have fun. All you left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust The shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile, over here, rewiring features More critical thinking, huh? less knee-jerk More evolution, less shit-coin creatures Pretending to be teachers, y'all just predatory leeches I mean, please, just look at the track record A bunch of VC rap fuck sucking up the cheddar the recipe is two steps rinse and repeat now we all in your butts and we bring in receipts gm fam have a seat if you're listening to this my my pre you would be like don't have to don't don't have to take a side on it just say like is it really is it really worth this war of attrition it might, it might cost us, us a lot more than what can be gained game. by like fighting this to the better end and sometimes it's better just like move on Temple spaces.